From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Charlie Robinson, the co-author of Controlled Demolition of the American Empire, is standing by, and he'll be here for the full two hours. Carlos Kajina is the technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. A quick programming note. This program has been pre-recorded. We are not live, so there is no live stream tonight on the YouTube channel, Strange Planet. However, the audio from this program will be posted to my YouTube channel in the next couple of days and will return next week with a live broadcast. In Charlie Robinson's latest book, co-authored with Jeff Berwick, titled The Controlled Demolition of the American Empire, Robinson and Berwick outline the possible consequences resulting from a political and economic system in crisis. Robinson uses the analogy of building demolitions to describe what he envisages as the impending collapse of the American empire. In order to take a structure down, support columns are identified, detonators rigged, alarms activated, and finally, plungers are pushed. What we're experiencing right now in the United States is that the end of the American empire is here, he says. It's not even so much a debate about whether or not this system is coming down because the pieces have been put into place to take the whole system down. He suggests there is unlikely to be an all-encompassing conspiratorial hand intentionally guiding the process. Rather, he argues it's the neoliberal economic structure within the system and those responsible for implementing policies that give rise to it that are the key destabilizing factors. Having reached its apex, Robinson argues the system currently has nothing else to do but collapse upon itself. Charlie is the host of the Macro Aggressions podcast on Apple, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, and Iconic.com. He's also the president and broker of Alter Luxury, a real estate brokerage and interior design firm, and has almost two decades of experience working in Las Vegas real estate. He's an author and an independent researcher and has had a front row seat to the fraud and corruption in the mortgage industry during his 10-year career in Las Vegas real estate. He credits John Perkins' book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, as the final piece of the puzzle that helped him to really see how the American government operates. He's the author of The Octopus of Global Control and co-author, along with Jeff Berwick, of Controlled Demolition of America. Hey, Charlie, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. My pleasure. My pleasure. First of all, because he can't join us today, I want you to tell us a little bit about the co-author, Jeff Berwick. Who is he? Oh, he's an interesting character. (laughs) They broke the mold when they made Jeff Berwick. He's a Canadian from Edmonton who um, started a company in in Canada, took it public, and um, had a hundred and I think a hundred and fifty million dollar valuation. And then with the dot com crash, everything tanked. His uh, co partner there had a nervous breakdown. I think Jeff had a bit of a nervous breakdown himself, and he decided he was just going to travel the world and see what was out there. He wound up buying a, a, a boat and sailing it and crashing his boat in Mexico. And I don't know if he literally washed up on shore. I think he actually did. He wound up staying in Mexico for a while and loved it. And 
and in Acapulco, mer- uh, met a, a woman from the area. They're married. They've, he's been there for 10 years. He started a company called the Dollar Vigilante, which is a financial services company. And he started talking about concepts of financial freedom. Um, and that led to government freedom. And it expanded from there. <clears throat> he was a financial analyst and who wrote the foreword to this book. And during a conversation one one night, uh, Doug said, you know what you are, Jeff, you're an anarchist. And he said, what's an anarchist? And so Doug Casey explained the concept and Jeff looked into it a little bit more. And sure enough, he discovered, you know, he, he was. And so he embraced that and started to get into that culture as well. And eventually started something called Anarcapulco, which is the largest anarchist convention that's held every year in Acapulco, Mexico in February. And it's, I've been a speaker there the last couple of years. So is Ron Paul and David Icke and Dr. Cynthia McKinney and Del Bigtree and a variety of, of people. And it's, it's now morphed to become not just about anarchist um, or anarchy or, you know, government intervention, but it's, it's turned into something uh, bigger than that. It's a three-legged stool of of anarchy and cryptocurrency and health and wellness. So they bring in people that will that can talk to you about homeschooling or unschooling your kids and that sort of component to it. There's people that can help you register companies offshore and talk to you about taxes. So he's he's brought in it's it's evolved over the years, but it's turned into this really amazing event that that I had no idea what to expect the first time I went. It was a Friday night and I always tell people this story to kind of paint the picture of what, you know, what the anarchist community is in actuality, as opposed to Molotov cocktails and burning tires and things like that, which, you know, I think most people have that impression. Right, right. I mean, when I think, when I think of anarchists, I think of Antifa. I think of, Of I think of Marxism. I think of them as, quite frankly, as an existential threat to Western civilization. Me too. I thought all those things until I got clear on what the term anarchy means. It doesn't mean without rules. It means without rulers. And I think that given the current batch of rulers we have, I think a case could be made that we would be better off without them. So it turned out that I had it all wrong about this community. It was a it's a very inclusive, real smart group of people. I don't know, from early 20s to people in their 70s, they can they they're from all over the world, although Met a lot of Australians there for sure and Americans. Um, it's an interesting batch of people. And through, um, you know, I'd met Jeff a, a little bit before that. And <clears throat> when I went on his show to uh, promote my first book, The Octopus of Global Control, which, of course, you had me on on your show and also Coast to Coast, which I will forever be grateful and appreciative of you for that. Um, and, and Jeff and I were, were, on, were talking one day. We, we did our interview uh, over Skype and we were done recording, but we were still chatting. And he said something along the lines of, you know, this whole thing's it's all coming down. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, this whole this whole society, this structure that we've built, like the, the way we've built this, it, it's a house of cards, which, of course, I acknowledge. I mean, I've written about that. So we said we just kept going with this conversation. And he said, we should. We should work on something together. We should write something about this. And I said, "Are okay? Uh, let me let me think about it. Let me think about what what I, you know, where I see this going." So, I wound up in Costa Rica. This is the summer of 2018, and I wrote <clears throat> I wrote out the framework of the book. And my feeling on it was, I wanted to make the comparison between the way someone would take down a a, a building, a physical building. And the way Jeff's statement of this is all coming down would line up. And so I thought that we could 
you know, I would examine the way that the technical uh, engineering way that you would that you go about taking down a building and see and then overlap that onto the where we are right now. So that's why I wound up with these these concepts, these the, the eight different chapters of the book that we'll get into. Um, it just came out of a simple conversation with Jeff about it all coming down. And then it made me think, you know, my octopus book came out of a similar simple conversation with my mother who said, you've got all this information in your head. What are you going to do with it? And it had never crossed my mind that I had to do anything with it. And same with Jeff. I have this conversation with Jeff just thinking I'm promoting my octopus book and (laughs) he makes a simple statement like it's all coming down and it gets me thinking, well, how would it come down? I mean, let's think about this. And so over the course of two years, we built out this book and we had it ready to go in March of 2020. And we slammed on the brakes when the corona situation hit. We said, wait a second, we this is too important for us to not incorporate it into the book. Let's pause for a couple of months, see how things play out, and then take a look at the book again now with what we know from the corona, um, the ongoing corona panic. So I'm glad we did because I was itching to get the book out in March and and we didn't do it and I was a little bit frustrated at first and I am so glad that we waited because what what has transpired in the you know, in 2020 has been a once in a lifetime type of occurrence. And for us to not incorporate that into the book would have made it irrelevant instantly. So I'm glad we we waited for a variety of reasons. But uh, it just came out, you know, (laughs) we're talking about the concept of destroy, you know, an empire destroyed. And we're releasing that book at a time when people can envision it. You know, it doesn't take much of, a, of an imagination to extrapolate where we are now and where things could go at the rate of, you know, with the rate of chaos that we're we're seeing. So, you know, Jeff's an interesting guy. I'm really, when you write a book with a Canadian, ex-Canadian living in Mexico, who's running a multi-million dollar company, who's an anarchist and starts anarchist conventions and travels the world to speak... You just you get a very unique perspective on the world, a, a perspective I could never have. And so to take his view of, of where things are, and he's more objective uh, about the American empire than I am. I'm an American. I've lived in America my whole life. I, I, I don't agree with the government. I don't agree with the way the government is run. But, <clears throat> but, I, but you know, I want the best for America, and, I, and I'm a little bit you know, it's I'm on the home team here. Right. But right. As am I. Jeff, I mean, I, I think emotionally, psychologically, philosophically, I may be more American than I am Canadian. My ancestors came from America. I have a huge emotional investment in in the United States. Uh, you know, I, I was up until 2 a.m. election night watching the proceedings and, and I, I'm on the same page as you, I think. I wanted to ask you, though, when we talk about the American empire, in your mind, Jeff's mind, are you comparing, are you putting it on sort of the same level as the Roman Empire, the uh, the, the Babylonian Empire, or do you see some, some differences? I see some differences. It's sort of a hybrid. It's not quite to that level. Those, those empires had very, you know, very little competition. These days, I feel like in the the years we've been alive, we've seen a variety of empires. We've seen the British Empire that that had an overt control spread throughout the globe. That's now it's pulled back considerably. We had the Soviet Union and the the role that they had. I see it more of 
more along the lines of a, of a better, bigger version of the Soviet Union. In fact, we, we draw some comparisons between the two in the way that, you know, when we talk about the destruction of the American empire, we're not necessarily talking about the destruction of America. We're talking about the empire, the, the sphere of influence, the, the thousand military bases around the world, the petrodollar relationship, the world's reserve currency, our undue influence on countries um, all over around the globe. And we compare that sort of to the way the Soviet Union was. The Soviet Union was thriving and everything was was going fine. They started this destabilization campaign and finally knocked it out in, in 91. It's not to say that Russia went away. It's Mother Russia still remains. It's just that it's satellite nations, Czechoslovakia and Belarus and Yugoslavia and all these countries that it had under its control. They lost that. They lost the control of those countries. They pulled back to prioritize uh, the homeland of Russia, much in the way somebody that was hiking Mount Everest that got stuck up there, uh, stuck in a blizzard and their body starts to prioritize where the blood flow goes. Look, you're going to lose some toes. You're going to lose some fingers, but we're going to keep your brain and your heart and your lungs functioning. We're going to keep the blood there because that's where it needs to be. So we see that aspects of, of the empire will fall away as um, as they did with the Soviet Union. So it's, it, there's a comparison there. But but I will say that that where, where we do draw some parallels between these previous empires is um, – in a chapter that we get into that talks about the Thucydides trap, which is a Greek concept, and talk about the um, how the existing empire feels threatened by the new empire that's rising up to challenge it, and in their um, between those two uh, competing empires, it has happened in sixteen different occasions that this is that this has taken place, and in twelve of the sixteen times it's ended in war. And so, what we're seeing is the rise of China, threatening the existing empire of, of the American empire, and we already start to see some of the similarities where they're demonizing one another, and we're talking that they're ramping up tensions and things like that. So we we're we're pointing out those those previous empires to show. That nobody is exempt from this. You know, they follow very specific cycles. And when you take a look at where where we fall on that cycle, uh, we're at the last stage before everything collapses. I mean, we see some of this, the hallmark characteristics of that, like, a, you know, the bread and circuses and the, you know, it debasing the currencies and, and government, you know, actions that are inconsistent, incongruent with the way the, the pub, public right. wants them well, to behave. You do in the book, you in the first chapter, really, you talk about the symptoms of a dying empire. Can we sort of go down that rabbit hole? Yeah, we talked about things like um, coin clipping, which is something I had, I had never really even uh, didn't know much about. In, the, in like the Roman empires, they were, you know, they, they would have their, their gold and silver coins and they had value, but they would clip little triangular uh pie-shaped pie uh, spots off of the edges of the coins and then collect all that up, melt it down and try and turn it into a new coin. So it was like before they had the Federal Reserve, they they were still looking at ways to debase their currency, you know, when, when you let governments get in, involved in things like that. So we, we, we talked about, uh, you know, we, we definitely talked about that um, uh, as, a, as a comparison. Not, not the biggest comparison, of course, but, but – um, but it is something that that sounds familiar. I mean, yeah, they 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 scapegoat their their 
kingdoms collapse. They use, you know, they blame it on natural disasters and diseases and all these other things. They never take responsibility for their own, their own, uh, um, shortcomings and things like that. So we just, you know, one of the hallmark aspects of a, of a dying empire is that the vast majority of the people that are living inside that dying empire are so blinded that they can't see that it's happening. You know, they, they, they're the last to know that it's, it's coming their way. And, and then of course, in retrospect, it's obvious. Everyone's like, well, of course this was coming down. How did you not see the signs? I mean, they were, it, it, they were everywhere, but we sort of have that same feeling right now too in 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 America we're sort of well that happens over there oh you know with regard to elections oh well those election meddling that's banana republics that have that you know and it's like no 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 we <laughs> we have some of the same trademarks of that as well so we're 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 very good at at, at trying to you know lie to ourselves or pretend that that this is somehow a problem with well that happened in those empires but it wouldn't happen in our empire but we all say the same things and and, and in the end it's inevitable because your behavior it it, uh, it the negative behavior by the governments and in uh, their policies it just accelerate the the movement towards a collapse so um and then everybody just always sound, you know, acts surprised and points the fingers at one another. Um, but it's it's crystal clear in, in retrospect of what is coming. And 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 like they said, give them bread and circuses, and they will never revolt. And and if America isn't the perfect encapsulation of bread and circuses, I really don't know what is. You also talk about aggression, and I suppose you could go back to the Spanish-American War, but really. I would say after World War One, and the presidency of Woodrow Wilson, we really saw a ramping up of interventionist foreign policy, which was kind of a progressive idea that America needs to export its values. This isn't about building empire. This is about spreading our values to the developing world and so forth. But America, is, it's always been, there's been this tension really, don't you think, between not isolationism necessarily, but more towards fortress America, non-intervention, and then the forces of an aggressive military and, and foreign policy. So there's there's this kind of, I don't know, dua- duality to America. Part of it wants to be an empire and part of it is very adver- adverse to that idea. Yeah, and, and the people that want fortress America – uh, I can understand. I can see their point for sure. It is before we start imposing our culture and our will on these other nations, let's make sure that we have uh, our own house in order. Let's make sure that we're, we're not having the same problems that we're, uh, you know, uh, projecting onto these other con- countries. I mean, I think a good point can be made that, you know, for the, the people that are, are or of the belief that we should not be empire building around the world. Well, you know, if we just took that money that is going into the military, the, you know, roughly a trillion dollars a year, and we allocated that differently at home and fixed the roads and the infrastructure and maybe changed the education system and upgraded our, you know, our, we did a whole, you know, chapter on the infrastructure problems that we have in America. You know, I think that there's a case, I think that's a, a logical and reasonable argument that that this money can be spent um, better on 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 different components of the American economy uh, but but the problem is the first of all 
infrastructure rebuilding projects won't get you reelected. They're not very glamorous. They're necessary, but they don't, you know, they don't get you votes. And, and, and there's no, there's more lobbyists for the military and the, you know, in that industry working on behalf of them, you know, in, in Washington, DC, then there are people that are trying to push, hey, let's take some of that money and use it to um, update the sewer system under New York City that's 100 years old or something like that. So it's it's about – unfortunately, politics are, gets involved in this and the decisions don't get made that are the most logical. They get made because they have the most influence behind them. So um, you know, the lobbyists play a role in this and so – a lot of people get frustrated with our money. You know, our tax dollars are being spent to export war to all of these other countries. And it's like, you know, America has used these two terms, uh, spreading democracy and humanitarian interventions, you know, and it, it's just they're so backwards because you realize that the spreading democracy part typically comes from uh, 35,000 feet and, you know, as they're dropping bombs on on villages and things like that. That's right. no way to spread right. democracy. Exactly. And, 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 and expecting that amongst the rubble, some uh, Thomas Jefferson will emerge from the desert sand and all of a sudden create this democratic utopia where there has been no, absolutely no tradition uh, for for democracy. We'll take a quick time out, Charlie, come back and continue to delve further. The book is Control Demolition of the American Empire. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We're back with Charlie Robinson, co-author of Control Demolition of the American Empire. From the founding of the Federal Reserve to 9-11 to the coronavirus panic. Let me go back to what we were discussing before the break, The uh, this tension between uh, those in America that want empire and those that want more of a, a, an isolationist approach. It's been suggested by many researchers and authors that the – the empire builders, you could sort of roll them into a, a category, and it's become a very popular term, I would say, since uh, uh, the, the election of Donald Trump, and that is the deep state. How do you see those that have been pushing for uh, empire in America? Do, do, would you consider th- those people to belong to the deep state? I would consider many of them to be part of the deep state. I would I- – at those the empire builders, I, I put them in the David Rockefeller category of internationalists. You know, he talked about his family being internationalists. There, it's more of a, it's more of a looking at the world and saying we want it all, as opposed to saying we want just the United States. So the empire building, it benefits a lot of industries. You've got uh, the military industrial complex, of course. Um, the banks always want war. They profit on, on both sides. So it's this push towards, um, you know, it, it's that that group of Rockefellers, Kissingers and um, Brzezinski's and that that group. They're deep state. They're, they're part of the American. You know, they've, they have roles inside the American government. But I feel that they they see their role is not they might be in America working on behalf of America, but they see a much bigger picture. And they're they're convinced that the, the best way to to bring about the right way to govern is to have the whole world under their control. And then they'll they'll uh, you know, then then everything will work just fine. 
part of the problem with that, of course, is that there's a vast number of people that will never go along with something like that. They don't want that. And unfortunately, the people in positions of power have have become powerful because they they are attracted to this uh they're attracted to this world they're they're psychotic psychopathic that uh that are given everything that they need when they go get into politics like that they're unbelievable amounts of power and influence money access to the things that they want access to um you know if you're hey if you if you're powerful if you want to get um you know, if you're a psychopath and you want power and control, go to Washington, D.C. That's where you got it. That's so it, unfortunately, it's a magnet for some of the worst people in the world. And then, of course, they get together and come up with these ideas about how we can take this uh, this current situation, this, this America that we're living in now, and we can export uh, our version of it to around the world. We, we talk about Project for a New American Century and the way they view the world, which is constant con- conflict multiple theaters of war happening all at once and using the power of the American military to club into submission any countries that don't get on board with our our project don't allow us to buy their oil at a reasonable price or don't you know allow us to put military bases on their countries or vote our way in our UN resolution so it's this it's this because of the types of people it attracts um, it's not hard to to extrapolate out where this is going and you'll, you'll have psychotic if when you get enough psychotic people together that really are, are very dangerous it's not surprising when their view of the world um mimics that they're they're essentially globalists uh, globalists uh, yeah. uh, david rockefeller used the term internationalists but they're globalists and so we're and this is the way i see what, what's playing out right now is that we are engaged in this titanic struggle between globalists or internationalists uh, and versus those who who advocate for the nation state so the seeds for the american empire uh, was it always the plan that america from the founding would be an empire or was it was this idea this noble ideal hijacked somewhere along the way and if so when i think it was hijacked I think that the concept of America early on was came from a place of, uh, you know, we, we want to break away from England. We want to have our own sort of society. We have a different view of the world. And, and, and of course, like any, anything, anything like this runs the risk of, of getting hijacked. When you've got a good thing going, other people are drawn to it. Well, let's see where we can take this from now. But there, there certainly was a push. I think after World War II, really, you had a decimated Europe that nobody was taking the lead there. America parachuted into the tail end of that war, didn't get itself hurt as badly as the other nations from a, uh, you know, from a casualty standpoint and a financial uh, standpoint, obviously no very little destruction inside America. So after that, we had this unique opportunity to lead the world and we had the support and love of, of many people around the world, but it, it, it got hijacked. I think, I think after Kennedy, I think we were maybe, we, we had consolidated power and we were really starting to, um, become 
one of the main players on the world stage. And then after the Kennedy assassination, things took a turn. We started to see meddling in foreign affairs at a level that we hadn't seen before. We're starting to see our exploration of, of conflicts all over the world. And we started to disguise things. And of course, <laughs> things like changing the name from the Department of War to the Department of Fence. Uh, so we started to monkey around with the terminology a little bit. We had the um, world's reserve currency backing us. So things really were headed in the right direction, but it got hijacked, I think, around the Kennedy assassination, and we made a, a hard right turn into where we are right now. So talk to me then about the uh, the Federal Reserve yeah. and uh, how it works with the IRS. So in 1913, the Federal Reserve was created uh, which is a private central bank used to – it was it's funny. I just had a conversation with Ed Griffin about this not too long ago. He wrote a book called The Creature from Jekyll Island. In 1910, all of these bankers secretly went down to Jekyll Island, Georgia, had a conference where they talked about the creation of a private central bank. And um, this was kept totally under wraps. They wound up doing what, what you do when you're rich bankers. You get yourself a couple politicians in your pocket, and they made it so that uh, they put this forward, and it passed in 1913, and it was the creation of the Federal Reserve. At the same time they did that, they created the Internal Revenue Service. So the, the play works like this. Um, the Federal Reserve is going to print the money and, and loan it to the American government at interest. So when the American government – is done for the year, they're going to owe that money back plus interest. Well, the interest part, the the where they get that interest money, the government doesn't want to pay for that. They'd rather it come from somebody else. So they created the IRS as the collection agency so that the IRS collects the money from the people and uses that money to pay the interest to the bankers on the money that was created from the Federal Reserve and loaned to the government. So the government borrows the money, but we pay the interest on it. It's a pretty good setup if you think about it. I mean, it's, it's, you create the collection arm at the same time and then sick them on, on the people and make sure that, uh, the people pay for it all. So that's where we, that's, that's how it started, you know, over a hundred years uh, ago. And, and one of the things that the federal reserve did is they, they're constantly inflating the money supply. And by doing that, it devalues the the value of the dollar. So we that's why we hear stories of, well, when my grandparents were young, they could get a loaf of bread for a nickel. That's the reason. Because over time, with the inflation of the money supply, it's just lowered the value. Basic economics, nothing too complicated there. Right. It's the hidden tax, inflation. Yeah. And it's great for politicians, too, because they have all of their, their pet projects, you know, pork barrel politics. Uh, they want to fund... Uh, little projects back in their constituency. And uh, if they can print money, they don't have to raise taxes. Uh, that doesn't stop them from raising taxes for other reasons, but uh, they can have it both ways. Uh, they can uh, they can uh, fund all their pet projects and, and then not be politically unpopular by, uh, by raising taxes. Charlie, we'll take another time out, come back and uh, talk some more. Controlled demolition of the American Empire. More of my more of my conversation with Charlie Robinson. Stay with us. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up? 
must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Charlie Robinson stays with us for the full two hours, and the book is Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. The idea that it's controlled, a controlled demolition, obviously parallels with 9-11, which we'll, we'll get into, no doubt. Why would the, the owners of the system, if you will, the deep state, whatever we want to call them, the oligarchs, why would they want to bring the, the house of cards down? It's like it's killing the, uh, the proverbial golden goose, isn't it? Well, it's, it is, but it's the last remaining obstacle to the world, one world government. You see, they, they can't have existing superpowers in play that'll ruin their, their operation of controlling the world. So we watched the destabilization of the Soviet Union three decades ago, much in similar, similar fashion, drag them into an unwinnable war in Afghanistan for 10 years, in their case, or 20 years for us, have their currency devalued, watch the corruption inside the government uh, run rampant, the media control, you know, constant lies through through propaganda. And we see these same sorts of things being exported to us these days, and we're, we're living through it. So it's important for this last remaining superpower to be uh, taken out, not necessarily exterminated, but just defanged enough so that they don't stand in the way of the globalist goal of controlling the whole world. They're going to need America on some levels, but they don't want them as powerful as they are right now. So we see the hollowing out, you know, and this is a, a, a process that takes decades. You know, we, the, this is part why we talk about things like concept of pre-weakening the building. We're like, well, what does that mean? Well, when you're t- talking about pre-weakening a real building, you're going through and cutting all the support columns not enough that the the building will fall down, but just enough that you don't have to use as much explosives when it comes time to take the thing down. So you're, you're cutting these support beams and things like that. Well, the same thing has happened inside the American empire as well. Talk about globalization and things like NAFTA and gutting the industrial capacity of the United States. It might not, it might not destroy it overnight, but give it three decades or four decades, like where we are these days. And we see that we've outsourced all of our manufacturing to foreign countries. And that's had a a tremendous effect on us. Things like, you know, policies like NAFTA and GATT and things like that. These are, these were devastating to America, but sold to us as a way like, well, listen, it's globalization. Isn't this great? You're going to get your TV for half the price from China. That is great, but there is a price to be paid. So um, it's important for them to, you know, you you got to take the building down, but they're going, they have big plans for America. They have plans to rebuild it in their image after it's all done. So, um, we, 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 we just have our eyes open for some of the, you know, the, the problems that have been happening for 30 or 40 years, they weren't actually accidental. They were like a lighting a very long fuse on this and then acting surprised when it blew up things, you know, four decades later. Well, you talk about weakening the structure, the, the foundation, if you will. And a, a lot of that has to do with making a, a population very compliant and servile. So talk to me about the process of dumbing down America. Yeah, it's a it's a process that has been happening in a variety of ways. We've got the literal dumbing down through fluoridation of the water, which lowers IQ and fluoride. Sodium fluoride is a neurotoxin. It's 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 added 
uh, to the water supply. There's a whole story on how that came to be, but it, it has devastating effects on us. We have real problems with vaccines and, and how they have destroyed um, the health of, of people. It's a polarizing and difficult topic uh, to get onto, but, but that's been a part of it. We have the education system. We've watched it go, you know, go from one of the best education systems in the world down to, you know, 37th or, or so in the, on the rankings. We have the introduction of Common Core, which can only be described as the intentional dumbing down of, of school children, the, the, the way they conduct math, uh, the way they instruct um, for English and math is makes no sense. In fact, Dr. James Milgram, who was the only PhD mathematician on the Common Core, uh, when he when they were developing the, the curriculum for it, he walked away from the project, said, I don't want anything to do with this, and now spends his days traveling the country on his own dime to give lectures against Common Core. So they've dumbed down the school children. They've got us with television. They've they've poisoned us with GMO foods. Our, our air isn't fit to breathe. They're spraying things in our atmosphere. John Brennan admitted so much in the, you know, in the, in a Senate panel. So they're getting us from every angle and we're getting to the point now where we've outsourced our critical thinking to other people, people in the media, people in the government, because thinking's hard. And then we act surprised when we're unable to assess the situation. Well, of course we we're, we're unable. We, we have very strong factors working against us. A lot of people that have a vested interest in keeping us all sort of dumbed down and dependent on government and sort of in this big, you know, a big group, big fog. And then very few people above it can see, you know, with high IQs, they can see the whole plan. They can see how it's all laid out and developing. So it's, it's devious, you know, and it's undeniable. Just go to Walmart, walk around. You tell me if, if the, if the dumbing down <laughs> game has been, has been running to perfection. I mean, it's very, it's, I joke about it, you know, I kind of have to laugh about it and, and, and everything, but, but it's a serious problem. And, and we have been, We've been taught to not believe our eyes, and it's uh, we all share a responsibility. All right, we'll take another quick time out. Back with more of my conversation with Charlie Robinson right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Uh, Charlie, we were talking about the dumbing down of America and also part of the the, the weakening of the uh, the support beams in order you know for there to be a controlled demolition of the empire is to make people weak, chronically sick, if you will. And you mentioned vaccines and so forth. But there is also something very ominous. This came out in 2015. There was a a, a periodical, a magazine. I saw this online that was advocating for a rather aggressive depopulation program in the United States, it talked about bringing the the population down from a current uh, roughly 325 million to 65 million uh, souls by the year 2025. Some people have argued that that's, that was a hoax. It's not real. What, what did you find out? Well, that's Deagle. Yeah, we, we, we mentioned them in the book. And, and Deagle's a company that does um, forecasting for the military industrial complex. They try to figure out, hey, based on what we're seeing here and population growths and shifts and, you know, you're going to need X number of tanks and this many bullets and this many planes and things like that. Yeah, their their population uh, projections for the year 2025 were staggering. And it was all Western countries. It was we were talking about reductions in population by, you know, 
50, 60, 70, 80% in some cases, it was, you know, and you look at that and you go, do they know something we don't know? <laughs> I mean, is this a, is this a hoax? Uh, we didn't find any indication of it being a hoax, but, w- and, and you don't need to go simply off of, of what Deagle has put forward to have questions about the depopulation agenda. Now, if you mention the depopulation agenda to some somebody just a casual observer of this they will tell you get out of here with that nonsense i mean you're this is crazy talk i mean you sound like a conspiracy theorist with all this get your tinfoil all those things that that they reflexively throw up when you talk about a depopulation agenda but look it is not my words i'm not saying that they're planning this they are saying that they're planning this. You can read their books. They lay it all out. They're very upfront about their plans for depopulation. And it's an interesting, you know, it's a it's a horrifying way of looking at humanity. But but you have to the problem is we're all at a severe disadvantage because all of us decent, normal, nice human beings, it, we our brains don't go there. We don't we don't consider things like that. So we also project that we say, well, because I would never do that. They would never do that. Well, you know, I wouldn't be so sure about that. When you're talking about psychopathic people that are finding themselves in positions of power, they think differently from us. They, that one of the things that they are missing is the, is empathy. And when you have no empathy, you are freed up to cross lines that the rest of us would never think of crossing. And when you come from these extraordinarily wealthy and uh, powerful families, they, you know, it's a, it's a bit of an echo chamber and the, the way they view humanity is all of these people are taking up space on my planet. And it would be so much better if they weren't all here, especially when you start thinking like the way governments think or the way that they're talking about managing people. It's like, well, we, we could do this, this management, uh, program so much better if it wasn't for all these people, you know, so if we could just get rid of all these people, then things would run much smoother. And, but that's always been a pipe dream until now. And you get guys like Zbigniew Brzezinski talking about how it used to be easier to control a million people than it is to kill a million people. But now it's easier to, to kill a million people than to control them. So, so where are we going with that? You know, they, the rise of robots, the rise of artificial intelligence, the rise of, you know, we, now we have to discuss a universal basic income. Well, why are we doing that? Well, because these, these machines are going to take over your job. Oh, okay. Well, we'll pay you money not to work and here's your universal basic income. But is it, but can we not extrapolate what the next step is there? It'll, the next step will be, well, since you're not doing anything, why don't you get off this planet too while you're at it? So, so th- it sounds crazy. I acknowledge that. Whenever you talk about depopulation, it takes you to a very strange place. But to, for for people that are instantly dismissive, I would suggest look into this. This is there's a lot of evidence that they're planning this, that they're putting their their plans uh, in, in place. They talk about it. They certainly do write about it. They're not afraid to talk about it publicly. So so it's not so much that I'm saying or Jeff and I are saying that this is a depopulation plan. It's that they're telling us that there's a depopulation plan. We're simply acknowledging it and writing about it. So, so it, it, but you have to, your brain has to go to a place where it doesn't normally go in order to think like them. And it's a dark place, of course. Right. Well, we're all wired for normal bias. When the roof is caving in, we think, well, no, that's just, you know, there's some mice up in the attic. It's, there's nothing going on here. But this whole sort of Malthusian 
philosophy has really been well it's been echoed you know in the in the Georgia Guidestones and I think even uh, the Council on Foreign Relations quarterly uh, foreign affairs also talked about the need for a depopulation and and it's also been incorporated into the whole environmental movement the whole green movement the World Wildlife Fund one of the founders uh, Prince Philip was once asked if he could be reincarnated what would he like to come back as and he said a deadly human virus this idea that and you see it now being taught in the schools that humans are basically a cancer on this planet we're a virus it's a real human hating movement so this whole depopulation agenda has really been i think welcomed in large measure by the younger generation they don't know what they're walking into they th- they they have bought the they've bought the lie they've in it and it starts in in schools I did in, in my octopus book, I talk about a, a professor named Eric Pianca at um, the University of Texas who's teaching evolutionary studies. He's talking about my favorite virus. My favorite is airborne Ebola because it kills nine out of 10 people. I mean, he says it's great for everyone that survives. They, ha- they get to bury nine. And it's like, well, hang on a second. This guy has access to your kids. This guy is a professor at the University of Texas. He, this guy didn't just get drunk at a bar and blab this out to somebody. I mean, he's he's talking about this to his students. He's writing books about it. So there is a push for it. There's a push to normalize it and to get us to to be self-hating about who we are and what if we can't, you know, look at our carbon emissions, our carbon footprints and all of that. I mean, we you just have to dig into the the Club of Rome, 1971, wrote a paper called The Limits of Growth. They talk about this. They talk about how they plan to invent the concept of global warming and use that as the as a tool to create a carbon tax that would been, then be used to fund their one world government. Now, when you say that to somebody who's holding a Greenpeace sign, they want to stab you, of course. But it's like, well, listen, I'm not saying this. They're saying it. Read their books. Read their information. And who started the Club of Rome? David Rockefeller and Dr. Alexander King. David Rockefeller, the guy who started the United Nations, is also talking about how they're creating the concept of global warming and that they will use that, be it real, quote, or imagined, (laughs) as the pretext to shape human behavior and change society. So it's a you know, these people are very dangerous, but you have got to give them credit for taking a very long-term approach to what they want to do to this world. They don't have a problem if it takes multiple generations, as long as they get where they're, where they want to go in the end. So you see things that you would never expect, like, like the head of the Sierra Club, you know, the Sierra Club that protects trees and everything, talking about how depopulation is the best method and how exactly. he wishes that there were less people, that he right. wishes he could wipe out the people. It's a, it's an insane mentality, but it's it's not limited to – to uh, I mean, it, it, it's pervasive in, in the highest ranks of government. Absolutely. They don't have to kill us. They're, they're, they've convinced us all to take a giant suicide pill. Yeah. Uh, young people today. I don't want to have a family. I don't want to bring children up in this world. Humans are a cancer. We need to depopulate. No more children. Don't have babies. Uh, we'll uh, pick up on this on the other side. Charlie Robinson stays with us into the next hour. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. 